Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. Good to see all of y'all here. Good to see you here this morning. We have had a very, very exciting weekend. And how many of you were a part of the EXO Conference? Just hands up here. Got some marriage help here. Excellent. Uh, I want to say a great big thank you to, uh, to uh, really to Allison Vespa and Cindy Escabel and uh, Kathy Gaskell for uh, leading a part of this, for uh, the Rowans and uh, John and Jill, uh, for just, a whole, just, there's a whole bunch of people that came out here and, uh, what am I doing? Don't hold the bottom. Gotcha. Okay. I normally have the, uh, these guys got to coach me up. So this is the receiver. Now I know. <laughs> I normally have a headset on, so. All right. So, uh, but man, so many of our, our, our volunteer teams came out to make for a beautiful event. This place was kind of destroyed and rebuilt for the conference, and then it was destroyed last night and rebuilt for services. So can we give all of those people that worked so hard, man, what a great job. So many of you. I tell you, I appreciate uh, today, and I hadn't planned on doing this, but we, we got cart people out there that are here early in the morning, and it's, you know, it's 20 degrees, or at least to a Texan it is. And so, uh, man, they're out there carting people from the YMCA and all over the place. Can we give all the cart teams and those folks that are just living out in the cold? That's, that's a big deal. So appreciate it. And uh, speaking of the EXO conference, it's all about marriage, and so here's a segue. Uh, some of you may have, have, have seen uh, that my son, my middle son, Dallas, n- named after the Cowboys after they won the second Super Bowl. And, uh, so, and that's why we have blue and gray colors in the church. I mean, that's why you felt God when you walked in here. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> but the Cowboys haven't felt God in a number of years, but we're still believing. My son, Dallas, uh, basically got me and my, my wife, a precious new daughter-in-law to be, Miss Jamie here. So, yeah. She said yes, which that was a big, it had been a long drive to Alabama. If she had said no, it would have been like, nah, this is awkward. But, uh, no, we're excited, man. I, I saw it, and I appreciate y'all. I, I, I know you don't want to hear the pastor get up and talk about his kids and grandkids and all that stuff. And, Bummer, because I, I'm probably going to do that. That's, that's my best example. But I appreciate y'all celebrating with us. But, Jamie, we love you. We love you, Jamie Lee. Got me some girls in the family. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I love my boys, but, man, the girls bring energy and thank yous and all kinds of new things. It's like, wow, what is this? Uh, this morning, uh, oh, and uh, ladies' breakfast next week. We're about to kick off the first one for the year. You know it's going to be awesome, so, so be here. S- so much going on here at the first of the year. P- please check the website because I don't even know what all is going on here. But I can tell you this morning that we are in for a very special treat. We've got one of the pastors from Gateway Church that has been there. And when it comes to introducing uh, t- Tom Lane, I-, I struggled this morning because if I read his resume to you, I would have to say, in Jesus' name, amen, and dismiss you because he's done so much. He was with, at Trinity Fellowship for 20-plus years working with Jimmy Evans, who, who put the conference on yesterday on the board of marriage today and uh, was e- executive pastor there and then came to Gateway Church when it was rocket shipping from, you know, 1,000 to 30,000. 
And really, one of his gifts, just one of them, is his ability to, to, to guide his executive pastor. Anytime there's a discussion in the church world about executive pastor, Tom Lane's name is going to come up as, I mean, he, he, he's, the, he's the poster uh, of what everybody's trying to put in their churches for what an executive pastor means. It's like a COO, but more for a church. And it's the ability to put people machines together so that they function so that the vision can actually sit on that people machine and, and run smoothly. And uh, it's a great gift. And Tom has helped two great churches bring uh, their, their excellence and keep up with their vision. But, but more than that, um, it, it, he's written four books, and he's got a, this precious wife, Jan, who is infamous. Uh, we, we, we just got to meet Miss Jan, and, and Tom's going to talk a lot about, about Jan. But Jan, we're so, so thrilled to have you with us as well. But Tom is a father. When I try to boil it down. Tom is a father. He's been my accountability for a number of years now, and uh, he knows as much bad on me as any human does. He, he, I, we, we opened the hood and looked in the engine a little bit, and it's not good. But uh, <laughs> Tom has been so gracious and such a great, a great uh, a mentor and a great coach. But he's a father, and here's what fathers do. They birth things. They raise them. And then they hand them off, and they birth other things. And the word apostle in Scripture really has to do with, with that gift. However you want to couch it, it's the ability to birth something. Get it off the ground. That's, that's hard work. Get something going. Uh, get, get it in order. Hand it off and keep doing that. And that's really what apostolic work means in the church. It's a father heart. And he's, uh, of all the things he is, he's an apostolic heart. And, and really, he's the apostolic outreach toward us. Uh, through gate or of Gateway Church, he's a part of that apostolic arm, and I believe you're overseeing the apostolic part of the Gateway Church now. So here he is organizing something else. Anyway, I could talk forever. I love Tom Lane. You're going to love Tom Lane. He's a blessing to me and a blessing to our church. Would you guys all welcome Pastor Tom Lane? Thank you, Andy. Thank you, thank you. Well, good morning. I I have to say I have looked under the hood, and I haven't found anything. Too, uh, too terrible under the hood there, Randy. I, I love you, and I'm thankful for ministry friendships. We've, we've been friends, known, known of the ministry here and known Randy for over 14 years. We were trying to compare dates and numbers, but anyway, it's a, it's a long time, and I really appreciate you and Stacy and your leadership here and the legacy that's being built. I have a few uh, people that I want to acknowledge this morning before I preach to you just so you know. Uh, uh, so the first is, I have my, we, we have four kids, two boys and two girls, my second son and his wife, Tyler and Marcy Lane, and my four, four of my 15 grandchildren uh, here, uh, two boys, Will and James, and two girls, Amelia and Caroline. Would you all stand and let them see you, please? <laughs> I haven't forgotten you, honey. I'm going to come back to you in just a minute. I have a colleague with me uh, who I also love and appreciate and want to acknowledge, David Vestal. David, stand up and just say, well, welcome to David. He's, he's a mighty man and uh, connected with me uh, as a part of the, the work that we're doing uh, with our network of churches and here at the Crossing Church. And then I, I'm so blessed to have some real special friends. I was trying to think maybe 40-year friends, 30, 35 at least, 
Uh, Jim and Suzanne and Milka Ray are here. Would you all stand up and just thank you. So, the speaker comes with an entourage today. Just uh, want you to know. Uh, okay, so let me talk about my wife just a minute. Uh, we're, this is XO Weekend, so I'm gonna talk to you about uh, marriage, uh, on the subject of marriage, and my title this morning is Three Things No One Told Me About Marriage. Uh, when, when Jan and I started dating, well, we knew each other in junior high, started dating in high school, and got married in college. Um, I got saved on our second date. I don't think she believes in, uh, believed in missionary dating, but uh, it was really, really worked out good for me. I'll just say, uh, she's been the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It just so happens that today is her birthday. It, <clears throat> It's the uh, anniversary of her 39th birthday. And uh, so we're, we're glad to celebrate uh, with you. Well, it, it wouldn't be fair to talk about my family and, and not show you the rest of them. Uh, here's a picture of our whole tribe. Uh, sons and daughters-in-law and 15 grandchildren. Uh, we truly are uh, blessed. And uh, so that's, that's the Lane tribe. Now, in talking about marriage today, I thought, well, I need, to, I need to start out with something sort of truthful, but yet sort of funny. And so I, I understand this has been, uh, been out on the web before. If you've heard it, maybe uh, just forgive me. But if not, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, there was a group of adults that were taking a computer course. And after a few weeks, the professor of the, of the course divided the group into men and women and gave them this assignment. I want you to take a part of this class time. I want you to discuss and determine what the gender is of a computer. And so after a, a, about 20 minutes or so, the guys went first and they unanimously voted that the gender of a computer is female uh, for these reasons. No one but the creator knows their internal logic, number one. Number two, when computers speak to each other, they speak in code language that only they and the experts can understand. Number three, every mistake you make is stored on the hard drive for later retrieval. <laughs> and number four, as soon as you commit to yourself to one, uh, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessorizing it. Well, uh, the ladies went next and they said, you, they voted unanimously that the computer gender should be male for the following reasons. Number one, in order to get their attention, you have to turn them on. <laughs> Two, they have a lot of data, but they still can't think for themselves. Three, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. And the last reason, as soon as you commit to one, you realize if you had waited longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about marriage, and uh, when Jan and I got married, we dated several years through college and a couple years into high school, and uh, I really thought, I mean, we're believers, we love God, we're committing to each other for the rest of our life. Uh, our pastor, the church that we were attending, he married us, and as, as we, he did a little bit of pre-marriage preparation for us, but I don't remember him telling me these things. 
What I now know as a pastor for, uh, well, uh, 37 years, 38 years, uh, I guess I'm in my 39th year. Anyway, for a long time. I know that uh, statistically, five out of every 10 marriages will fail. The, the couple involved in the marriage says, I, this isn't what I signed up for, I'm, I'm out. That leaves five that are left, and of those five, again, this is, not, this is just my own evaluation, but of those five, three of them say, well, I'm not getting a divorce, but I'm not happy and I don't know what to do, so they build coping mechanisms. Uh, they pour themselves into their hobbies or into their work or even worse, maybe into addictions in order to, to alleviate the pain that they feel uh, in the relationship. Only two, 20%, two out of 10, are actually willing to do the really hard work that it takes to make a marriage last for a lifetime. And um, I think that what God wants is for us to, to live true to the covenant commitment we make in marriage, that covenant commitment that says, will you take this person, wife or husband, will I take Jan to be my wedded wife, to live together after God's holy estate of matrimony? Will I love her, comfort her in, in sickness and in health, in richness or in want, till death do us part? I said yes to that. I made that commitment to her. I have to say, it wasn't probably 10 years into my pastoral ministry, but I was doing some pre-marriage counseling, and I was talking to a young couple about the vows that, that they were gonna take, and it sort of dawned on me, I only thought of these vows in the positive, for better, for richer, in health. I never really gave much consideration to what might happen if it was for worse, if it was in sickness. But the covenant that I was making with her is I'm in this for the rest of our life and no matter what happens, we're gonna figure it out. We, we will walk through this together. We're establishing a partnership, you and me and God, to address life and to fulfill God's purpose individually and corporately uh, in our marriage. So I wish that I would have understood at least these three things and uh, so here's the first one. A marriage partnership takes work for a lifetime. You know, I don't know how you uh, came into defining love in your life, but we, we, uh, we graduated from high school in 1970. We got married in 1972. And uh, a big movie around the time we were in high school in that, that time was a movie called Love Story. Ryan O'Neill, Ally McGraw. Anybody remember that? You're, you're old like me. Okay. One of the statements in that, that movie was, love means never having to say you're sorry. That's the biggest lie anybody could ever tell you. Uh, if you love someone, what you're gonna do is walk with open heart and arms and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I was wrong, I, I hurt you, I'm sorry. Uh, but you might be a little closer now, a little, uh, another definition, I guess, or something that influences our definition of, of love is a movie called Frozen. And in, in Frozen, uh, there was a song called Love is an Open Book. And so I thought I would show you something. Uh, we did a men's retreat, a little spoof on this. Uh, it was a Jimmy Fallon skit where my oldest son, Todd, 
and uh, one of the guys going to speak for us at the retreat, uh, Tim Ross, guy that was on our staff, and uh, we were planting in a church, Embassy City Church there in the Metroplex. Uh, they were going to do a little skit. So watch this. It's the, uh, the song from Frozen. Love is an open door. Uh, and I've, I've actually, I've got something in mind. You know, a very popular movie was Frozen. And, um, and uh, I, I thought in the theme of the night, why don't we do Love is an Open Door? I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, can I just say something crazy? I love crazy. What? All my life has been a series what? of doors in my Same thing, because like I've been searching my whole life to find my own place, and maybe it's the party talking or the chocolate fondue. <laughs> but with you, but with you, I found my place. I see your face, and, and it's, it's nothing like I've ever known before. Love is an open door. Love is an open door. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. What? We finish each other's sandwiches. That's what I was gonna say. I've never met someone who, who thinks so much like me. Jinx, jinx again. Our mental synchronization can have but one explanation. You and I were just meant to be. Take the song too far, bro. Uh -huh. Wow. Wow. So the, the point is, <laughs> what factors in your life have gone into determining how you define what love is? And how you enter into a, a committed relationship? Is it by contract or is it by, by covenant? You know, when God created the garden in Genesis chapter two, he put Adam in the garden and he, he brought, paraded the animals by Adam so that he could name each one, one by one. And when the animals were all named in Genesis chapter two and verse 20, it, it, it says this, that uh, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And the rib that the Lord God took from Adam, uh, he made a woman and brought her to, to the man. And the man said, this, is at, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. God intended uh, in marriage, in family, for 
a family to come together in marriage as a husband and wife for them to commit for a lifetime and for there to be a partnership between God and a man and a woman to fulfill his purposes on earth. I, I thought, based on my concept of love, that it was gonna be easy. We loved each other, we dated, we were committed to God. It, it, it was gonna be sort of heaven on earth. I found it was a lot more work than I really realized. And here's some things that you need to know if you're gonna work for a lifetime. It takes patience and faith. It takes patience and faith to allow the other person to develop past the, the hurts, the, the iniquities, the tendencies that are a part of their life and the, the way that they rub in yours. First Peter chapter number three says this, uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It, it takes patience. I, I think Jan has been so patient with me and dealing with the issues of my life. Uh, she's been right more than she's been wrong and she's been patient to allow me to develop uh, as I work through issues in my own life. It takes prayer as well. First Peter 3, 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, I, I wanna propose to us that if you are frustrated because your prayers are not being answered, maybe you're not being sensitive to your wife. Maybe you're being domineering and you're, you're frustrating the process. You're forcing yourself uh, in, in ways that are, are not appropriate. And God says, if you're gonna treat her that way, I'm not gonna pay attention to you. Maybe today is a day when you say, honey, I'm sorry. I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. And I will work this issue out. I'm, I'm sorry. It takes mutual submission to God. When he's disobedient to the word, it takes someone to say, I'm in no matter what. When, when she's emotional and dramatic, it takes us men to say, I don't get all that, but I'm in. Uh, I'm, I'm not leaving. Understanding each other, embracing our unique perspectives is a part of what God intends in our relationship. It takes work uh, to get by this. Passion, intimacy, and commitment. These three things, I, I heard this from uh, Les and Leslie Parrott, marriage counselors, mentors, uh, they have written a lot on, on marriage, but they, they use these three things as a acronym that they call the PIC score. And they, they use it just to introduce, how, how are we doing? How do you feel about me uh, today? Now you don't have to do this, but it is a conversation starter. It, is your passion from one to 10, is it a six or a seven? Uh, how do you feel we're connected in hearts? How's our intimacy? Is it a five, a three, a, a, you know, what, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, what about commitment? Commitment is the most controllable of the three of those. It's by decision. And so I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a nine or 10. I'm, I'm in no matter, no matter what. Uh, so here's the way I came into our marriage. I came into marriage with the idea that I'm really, I, from the time I was very young, I was told, you, you just have a way with words. You're so diplomatic. And, uh, and my wife is a very direct person. She, you'll know exactly how she 
thinks or feels. She's kind in the way that she says it, but she's very direct. And so I thought, you know, she's perfect. I mean, she's beautiful. She's got such great gifts and abilities and talents. And if I could just round off a few of those rough uh, communication edges, I mean, she'd be ready for heaven. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say the first seven years of our marriage, I tried to make her like me, more, more palatable in the way that she would communicate at times. <clears throat> It created a great deal of conflict. Uh, she didn't appreciate the work that I was trying to do and, and helping round her out. <clears throat> and so I finally woke up one day going, Dad, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna live in all of this conflict, so if she wants to be weird, I'm just gonna let her be weird. <laughs> and so we spent another seven years, still me not validating who she was or, or pulling her in as a partner, just saying, okay, I don't get you, I don't get what, what you're doing, but I'm gonna let you be weird and, and love your weirdness just like it is. And about the 14th year, I realized, you know what? I, I was attracted to her because she's not like me. She has strengths in areas that I don't, and I need her, and I need to fully embrace her in that. And so... I changed the way I looked at things entirely to say, I want all that you are, and I want to validate all that you are. Now, I'd like to say I'm perfect at that, but she would tell you, I have to full disclosure, I'm not. But I'm working on it, we're working on it, to embrace all that she is and all that I am in the partnership that we have together. It takes work. Now, I want to say something to you. If you're in a situation I don't know if you ascribe to the seven-year seasons of life, uh, but I think life is lived in seasons, however long they are. And when you're in a season, the enemy tries to convince you that that season is an everlasting season. There's, there's a word in the Bible for time, actually two words. One is kairos, it means in the moment for a defined segment of time. And the other is chronos, meaning a, a, a full span of time. What the enemy does is he takes us in a moment of time and says, this is, this is the way your life is gonna be. This is the way it will be for the rest of your life. Get used to it. So if you're in an unhappy situation, the enemy comes along and says, get, get used to it. This is the way it's gonna be. You're gonna be unhappy for the rest of your life. And he does so to try and get us to act out of God's timing in response to an unhappy situation that we're in. It's a season. Seasons change. Don't, don't give up in the middle of your season. Believe God to do something great in your life because he will. He, he responds when we trust him, when we pray, when we believe his word, and when we're willing to say, I'm wrong. So it's, it takes work for a lifetime. The second thing is, Heart connection, the, the goal of marriage is to connect our hearts and, and that heart connection ha, has a spiritual component to it. Uh, if you're gonna be in partnership, it takes God at, at, in the center of what we're doing in order to enable us. Ephesians 5 says it this way, uh, therefore a man, it's actually quoting out of Genesis, but uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound for I'm saying for what I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I can just tell you, that's an impossible task for both parties apart from God's help. We need God, it's a spiritual component. It's not about competition or domination, it's not about conflict, uh, uh, how, who can win or persuade the perspective, their perspective as being right. Um, there are different perspectives, and just because you have a different perspective doesn't mean you're wrong and, and one is right. Uh, connection necessitates learning how to navigate and resolve conflict. How are you gonna work through the difference in your perspective? Learning how to respect your spouse so you can uh, lean on their strengths is another part of what God is calling us to do, and he partners with us in order to help us, uh, help us get there. Um, my model of, of love uh, growing up was a performance-based model of love. I didn't know that. I just thought it was love. This, this is what love is. Your, your family of origin has determined how you see God's love and how you define love in the context of your human relationships. If your parents were punitive, you, you see love in punitive ways. If they were distracted or, di or dis distant, uh, you, you see love as something that is sort of at arm's length. Well, mine was performance-based. And when I got into marriage, Jan said to me, you make me feel like I have to perform for you. And I went, what? And I, I really thought, she's crazy. And, and she's trying to drive me crazy. She's accusing me of things I didn't do because I, I, never, I never asked her. I never told her to do anything. And I, I, my attitude and even some of my words were sort of like, I don't, I don't get what you're talking about. I, I think you're nuts. So um, I, was in, I was in ministry. I was a pastor at, at Trinity Fellowship in Amarillo and I was overseeing our counseling department and they were working, they were doing some counseling in codependency and I didn't know what that was so I asked the, the department, I need to do some reading on codependency. Do you have anything for me? And so they gave me a book called Codependency by <laughs> Pat Springle. So I took it home and I, I would read it at night just before we went to bed. And I mean, the book just irritated me to no end. And I would, I would lay in bed and, <laughs> and I would write in the margins and underline things. And, and Jan said, what are you reading? And I said, this stupid book is about codependency and if this guy were here, I would punch his lights out. And Jan goes, woo, look who's struggling with some issues. I said, oh, shut up. <laughs> Struggle with some issues, you. And so I found another book <clears throat> called Can Christians Love Too Much by Margaret Rink. And it basically covered the same stuff, but it was more nicely said. And one of the things that this book said, I was reading through it, is that when you're dealing with issues in your heart, you need to treat it like an archeological dig. In an archeological dig, when, when they're digging in a site, they'll uncover things, and they don't know whether they've uncovered something that's real rare and very valuable, or whether it's just a clay pot 
not worth anything. And so they treat everything the same and they bring it to a display table and then people work meticulously to uncover, get all the mud and everything off of it so that they can see what it is. I, I thought, if, you, if I open up my heart and we start dealing with things out of my heart, that you're gonna mistreat it. I'm gonna be embarrassed. You're gonna tell other people about it or put it, use it in a, and, and so I didn't wanna go there and I didn't want anybody else to go there. So Jan would ask me at times, so how do you, how'd that make you feel? And I went, I don't know and I don't care. It doesn't matter. What, what, what does it matter how I felt about it? It's not gonna change anything. And so Margaret helped me see, okay, maybe I, I sort of need to deal with this. And I was, one day I was thinking, as I was reading through this book, and I was reminded of my childhood. Uh, my maternal grandmother was very dominant in our life. Uh, she was a very dominant person. She was dominant in our family. And so whenever she and my grandfather would come for a visit, my mom, a few days before they came, would, you know, she'd gather all, I have two sisters, so me and my sisters, okay, kids, come on, come on, we're, we're, we gotta clean the house. And I'm not talking about vacuuming and washing the sheets. I'm talking about dusting above the door, you know, the door mantles, um, taking all the, the glass off the chandelier and polishing them to make sure there was no spots on, I mean, that kind of meticulousness. And what I knew is if we did a good job, grandma would for a visit and she would notice. And when she noticed, she'd say, hey, kids, kids, great job, way to help your mom. And then we'd get some fabulous reward, like maybe a shopping spree or you know, out to a fancy dinner or something like that. So I was reading Margaret, uncovering this thing in my heart, and I realized, oh, because I, I thought my grandmother loved me, and the way that she expressed that love was through performance basis. If I performed well, she bestowed good things on me. And I carried that into my marriage, and I didn't even notice, uh, know that, you know, so, hey, hun, I know you had a busy day. I'll clean the dishes off and load them in the dishwasher. Uh, you know, hey, I'll, I'll vacuum uh, you need me to strip the bed and walk? I mean, I would help around the house. And, uh, and I, never, I never thought of, I never expressed that I'm expecting something from this, but I expected something from it. Does that make sense? That's the way I, I learned love. I do nice things for you, you do nice things for me. And just like that, I had a revelation moment. This is what she means. You make me feel like I have to perform for you. And so I, I went home that day, having had this thought, and I said, hey, let me tell you what I feel like the Lord showed me, and I shared this with her, and I said, is that what you feel? And she said, yes, that's what I feel. Why don't you tell me, if you want something, why don't you tell me, don't, don't hide it. I'm, like, I'm not hiding it. I didn't even know it was there. It was stuck down in there. I just displayed it on the table and you know, figured it out. There, there are things that are a part of your life today, maybe things that are not real evil. They're things that impacted who you are or helped define what love is in your life that need to be uncovered and rearranged by God so that you can be the person that he wants you to be in your marriage. 
And let me just tell you, if you're not married today, there are things in your life that have impacted you that God wants to bring healing and shine a light. It's not to be mean. It's to prepare you so that you can connect in partnership with somebody. Because let me tell you what Satan does. This spiritual dynamic, he resists us. And when, when you're dealing with a problem in your life, the problem looks like this Bible. And it, it attaches itself in, right in the very forefront of your face. And all you can see is the Bible. And what you hear in your ear is nobody's had a problem like this, ever. This is insurmountable. No marriage, no person has ever survived this. And what he's trying to get you to do is to believe his lie and give up on God. It's a spiritual dynamic that is at work in building the connection and relationship that you want. Satan's work is to lie, accuse, confuse, and divide. And um, so just a, a pause here. Um, I think there's some books that are available if you want. Jan and I wrote a, a book on marriage. Uh, Pastor Randy mentioned Jimmy Evans has been my best friend for about 40 years. And uh, we work together in Amarillo. I've been on the board of Marriage Today. Still, I'm on the board there. And um, so he came to me, oh, this is 25 years ago or 30 years ago, and said, I'd written one book on uh, uh, parenting, on the influence of a father. And he said, hey, I know what your next book ought to be. And I said, really, what's that? And he said, on, you gotta write a book on marriage. And I said, you're the marriage guy. Why would I write one on marriage? And he said, no, no. He said, Karen and I minister from the standpoint of a, uh, of a strong man, dominant man, and a more passive female. But you and Jan have the opposite dynamic. He said, in fact, I'll tell you what I, I would recommend. I, I'll give you the working title for your book. And I said, okay, what? And he said, dominant women, passive men. <laughs> I said, Jimmy, who's gonna buy that book? I mean, you've offended Jan and me all in the same sentence. <laughs> well, I went ahead and outlined the book. Then Jan and I tried to write it in a he said, she said format. And shockingly, it, it didn't fit very well. So we set it, set it aside for 15 years or so. And uh, just a couple years ago, we sat down to, to write the book. And it's, it's our story. It's how we learned to navigate these issues in our, our marriage, to build the kind of marriage that God wants, wants built. And our marriage is not perfect. We're still working on it, but we're contending for all that God wants in our relationship. And so I would say to you, if you're a strong woman or you're a passive man, and I, I hated the word passive because I'm a, I'm a man's man. I'm an, I'm an athlete. I'm not, I, I'm not a wimp. That's what I thought passive was. But passive really has to do with the way you approach conflict. And if you, I was a conflict avoider. I'm a peacemaker. I, you know, you want me to say I'm sorry? I'm sorry. And then she'd say, what are you sorry about? Well, I said I was sorry. <laughs> Do you have to go into detail? I mean, you know. So um, anyway, we wrote our story. And uh, if it'll help you, we're, we're glad to share it with you. Uh, oh, we changed the title, though. <laughs> Fortunately, when we started writing it, uh, our, our publisher said, you know, I'm not sure that title's so, it's a good title. Why don't we do Strong Women and the Men Who Love Them? 
love it. That's pretty good. Okay, number three, good communication creates connection, not victory. I don't know if, you've, if you think about this, but I, I also had a role sort of mindset to marriage. There's certain things that I do, there's certain things that she does, and everything has right or wrong. And uh, so, uh, I, I mean, everything was a competition. It's like, no, I'm right, you're wrong. And uh, it, because I approached it that way, it impacted our communication and our ability to connect. Ephesians 5.4 says this, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be giving of thanks. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's a, there's a marriage researcher out of the University of Washington. His name is John Gottman, and he's written a number of, uh, of marriage books, but he talks about four unhealthy patterns of communication, and here's what they are. The first is, is escalation. You get into a disagreement or an argument, you're frustrated about something, and you pile on that frustration with every other thing. You know, uh, would you pick up your socks? You, you don't, you, and not only do you not pick up your socks, your underwear, you never hang up your clothes, and by the way, you never put your dishes in the dishwasher either, and it just escalates in, in its, uh, and then it becomes criticism. You know, you're just a slob. That's what you are, is just a slob. And then that becomes invalidation. I, I don't even know why I married you. And that, that leads to contempt, and then that produces withdrawal and avoidance and defensiveness, and that leads to negative interpretations. Now, again, let me say, this is an area that the enemy uses. It, it's these internal conversations in our mind that take place. And uh, for me, if you're, if you're the passive one, this is where it, it happened for us. Uh, I just knew what, what she was thinking, and I would have this whole conversation about w what was taking place that she never knew. But, uh, but I built responses because I knew Prepare. It was like every defense mechanism was going off in me. You're going to get rejected. There's a brace for a fight. It, you know, it's going to happen. And uh, this was a pattern that cycled in our life every so often. We'd, we'd have great, we, we loved each other. We were committed. There was harmony. And then there'd be one issue that would surface. And we, we, we finally sort of figured out that it was a pattern. And we said, we want to stop this pattern. And when part of stopping the pattern was me realizing what I was doing. I was giving place for the enemy. The conversation that was taking place in my mind first began in my imagination, and then the enemy stepped in to add to it. And I said, okay, we, we need to stop this. So one day I, I came into the house, and Jan was at the stove. She was cooking dinner. And I went, hey, and she, over her shoulder, you know, stirring, hey. And I walked back to the bedroom, and I have this thought, she's mad at me. What did I do? I didn't do one thing. And I went, oh, I know she likes me to call her, but I didn't call her. But she needs to know that, I, can't, I mean, I'm busy. 
I can't just pick up the phone call, you know, every day. This is, and, and just like that, I'm in, the, in my closet changing my clothes and the Holy Spirit says, this is the pattern you're trying to break. And I just, what? This is the pattern you're trying to break. You, you are having a conversation without involving her. You have no idea if she's mad at you. So about that time, she rolls into the, to the bath, bathroom closet area, and she goes, hey, how was your day? And I'm thinking, pull up, pull up. We're, getting, we're bracing for a fight right here. She, she does not mean that. And, uh, and I went, um, well, it was pretty good. Um, hey, I need to ask you something. She said, what? And I said, are you mad at me? Now, the table was reversed a number of times. Uh, she would say to me, are you mad at me? And I thought, girl, if you have to ask, I'm not telling you. You just figure it out on your own. <laughs> of course I was mad at her. She didn't do what I, what I expected her to do, what I thought she ought to do. What's that? I don't, and I had this whole conversation that took place. So when I say, are you mad at me? And she says, no, I'm not mad at you. Everything in me is going, she is, she is. Don't believe it. It's, it's gonna come back and bite you. And I said, look, Jan, I, I think this is a part of the pattern that we're working on. And I just need to tell you, if you're mad at me, you really need to tell me. Because if you're, everything in me, the emotions in me are, are telling to brace for rejection and a fight. And if I override those and you're mad at me, it's gonna really mess me up. And she said, look at me, look, look at me. And I look at my eyes, looked at her eyes and she said, I am not mad at you. And I could tell she was fully telling me the truth. That day was a breakthrough day for our marriage. It, it helped me understand the dynamic that the enemy tries to do in ruining our communication. So if you're in that cycle where it, it it's escalation that leads to invalidation, that leads to withdrawal and defensiveness and then to stonewalling. You can break that cycle, but you have to be the one who takes responsibility for it. I'll own up to the fact that I've been thinking things that I didn't talk to you about. And I need, I don't mean these as an accusation. I just want you to know, this is what I'm thinking. Is it right or am I wrong? And with truthfulness, not intended to hurt, not as a part of the fight, but with truthfulness to say, I'm not mad. You can break through the, the cycle that you're in and build the kind of communication and partnership that God wants. One more story and then I'm done. Our youngest daughter, uh, been married 10 years now, when she and her husband were dating, their dating relationship created a problem for Jan and I. We, we conflicted uh, on an issue that really didn't relate to them. It just, it just they kind of rubbed on something that we didn't know was there that created a, a conflict, and I mean, we couldn't get by it. It was so contentious that we got to the place of saying, look, we've tried to resolve this. We know we're not gonna resolve it. I know what you're gonna say. You know what I'm gonna say. Why don't we just agree? And we were building a coping mechanism around this area of life. And one day I, I come home and Jan said, I think we need to go to a counselor. And I said, I agree. We need to go to a counselor. And I said, but 
Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. So when we go to this counselor, we're gonna lay everything out on the table. You can tell him everything that you feel. I'm gonna tell him everything that I feel. And then whatever he says, we're gonna do. Are you good with that? And she said, totally good with that. And I said, that's good, sister, because you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> and so we, we went to this counselor and we went two or three times and uh, he probed on our marriage and on our commitment to each other. And he, he it took him several times to just convince himself, you, you have a solid foundation. You love each other. You understand biblical parameters. You, you have a good marriage and you obviously love each other. He said, this isn't, and this, this is what got me, he said, this isn't about being right or wrong. I went, what? You mean we're paying for this and you're, we've, we've gone three times and you're not gonna tell her she's wrong? What? He said, it's not about being right or wrong. God is saying something and we need to figure out what he's saying in this relationship. That was a breakthrough moment for me. Oh, she can have a different opinion than me and it not be wrong. She, she actually can contribute something that, that we, you know, we see from a different perspective and it, it actually be beneficial. God may be using it to full, more fully round out what, what he's saying to us as a couple. What? Two things I, I would say to you, just as this, I wish somebody would have told me in the beginning, if you get in trouble and you can't resolve it, you do your best, work hard, apply everything that you know. But if you can't resolve it, go get help. I would say to us today, if, if you have the sniffles that turns into a cold and you don't treat it, it's gonna turn into an upper respiratory and if you don't treat that, it's gonna turn into pneumonia and could kill you. We know that. So when we start getting a cold, we, we treat ourselves. We get DayQuil or we do something. If that doesn't get it, we, we get into the doctor and we, we deal with the issues. So we take care of the physical issues in our life. You need to do the same with the spiritual and emotional issues. Don't be afraid. We're, we, and, and I say this corporately to all of us, when, when somebody gets help for a spiritual issue, an emotional issue that they're dealing with in their life, if we love them and are friends with them, we ought to celebrate. We ought to celebrate that, that just like, hey, way to go, you went to the doctor? What did the doctor say? How'd, how's it going? Are you feeling better? Yeah, it's, it's the same kind of issue and it's that important in the context of building our partnership in marriage. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 Don't be embarrassed. Uh, so uh, go get help. And then just remember, uh, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about what God is saying in the context of the situation you're dealing with. Figure that out, and you've got God as a partner, and he's unstoppable. Amen? All right, let me pray for you, and I'm done. Lord, thank you for this, this XO weekend. Thank you, Lord, for the marriages that you are deepening and strengthening. Thank you, Lord, for those that are are at the precipice of making life-changing decisions that you're calling back, that you're calling, calling into a, a partnership, a three-way partnership with you. 
Thank you, Lord, for the, those that are single and looking to build a relationship that is a uh, life line, lifelong marriage relationship. Lord, would you speak to them today about the issues they need to address? And would you renew hope that there is someone that you're preparing for them to partner with? Lord, thank you for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Enjoy being with you. So appreciate that. Gang, let's all stand to our feet. And I, I know he said it two or three times, but man, I tell you, the loud things for me, don't try to shove every issue into a right and wrong box. That is golden. That's golden. And locate your cycles. Locate the cycles. We're all in them. And uh, those are huge. And along with everything else he said, I do want to pray, and I want to pray over your marriages. I know we got singles here. Singles, take notes. I'm telling you, take some notes. I, I counsel pre, do premarital, and they're all ooey-gooey and can't hear a thing. And I try to tell them, look, okay, this is sweet, but you're going to run the fuel out of that ooey-gooey, and then it's going to be real, and you better, you better listen. And uh, so that's okay. Enjoy the ooey-gooey and, and run, all the, run all you can on the feeling. But I'm telling you, the gas runs out of that engine, and you've got to get down to committed decision-making love. And it's awesome, but it is work. As I'm re-preaching his sermon, so enough. So we're going to continue with this series just on relationships in general. It won't be all be about marriage, but uh, it, it'll be helpful. I want to pray over your lives right now. You guys know that we receive our tithes and offerings with the white boxes in the back. And also there will be some, uh, some uh, prompts for you for your electronic devices to give that way. And uh, again, it, ladies and gentlemen, it is Valentine's week. I know I've had one couple tell me, hey, that's not a big deal to us. Uh, fellas, pay attention, just do it, okay? <clears throat> I've missed one Valentine's in my whole marriage. That's all you'll ever miss. Just one. So, so pay attention. So, uh, Harry, let's pray. Father, we love and honor you, and we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church. And, Lord, I do pray for marriages, and very specifically, Lord, <clears throat> God, those cycles, as, as Pastor Tom was saying, those things that we build uh, we, we build around them so, because we can't figure out how to go through them. We can't figure out how to resolve it. So we build bridges over them or around them, and we just accept that this is going to be broken. Lord, I believe that, that that creates just more brokenness. So, Lord, that cycle right there, that right there, somebody's hearts and minds are coming alive right now, that there's a cycle, and, it's, and it can be fixed. It can be healed. It can be processed through. So I ask you, Lord God, to touch marriages and identify cycles in our lives and uh, in our expectations, as well as just all the brokenness that gets revealed in marriage. I thank you that there's healing and that this month is going to be a month of real deep and honest healing, Lord God. And so I just speak the blessing and favor over marriages, over single hearts and minds, Lord, those that are looking, those that are on the hunt. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would just be with our singles and protect them and bring to them godly men, godly women. And we speak that over our kids as well. Lord, over the, the rest of this day and over this Valentine's week, we just continue to pronounce blessing over marriage and progress over marriages, Lord. And thank you, God, for this great institution that you've given us. And thank you, God, for relationship. You invented it so you can guide us. We love and honor you. Thank you for Pastor Tom and Jan. We speak the blessing and favor of God over them. We bless this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. 
Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.